Hello, I'm Jenny. I'm the curate. There's some new people I've not haven't spoken to yet, so do come and say hello afterwards. Um, I just wanted to um, put this in context so that you understand why I'm going to say what I'm going to say. Um, but let's just step back. We've been on a journey this year, 2018, of sort of realigning our perspective, of having an eternal perspective of um, our relationship in God and our, our journey with him. And... Um, through the summer term, we looked at the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit, rather, and how God expresses himself through us in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's our God, and when he's living in us, that's um, how he expresses himself through us. And we cannot receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit without Jesus. Last week, Mary um, began to set us on the right trajectory with this, and she helped us to recognize Jesus in this eternal perspective, that Jesus was there, the word of God at the very beginning, that he is alive now and alive forever, that he is God, and he is way that he makes, he makes God sort of personal and relational to us. So Mary set us on this trajectory of remembering Jesus in the eternal perspective. And then this sermon series, we're, we're beginning with that question of Jesus asking his disciples, and who do you say that I am? And then we're going to take eight, just eight, names of Jesus, ways of um, understanding his identity, and we're going to explore how we know more about Jesus through this and how Jesus relates to us through these different myriad of um, ways that he expresses his identity. So the plan is that we meet Jesus in fresh ways, that we encounter him in a deeper way this autumn. And Tim will launch this series on the 30th of September. Next Sunday morning, the 23rd, not in the evening, in the morning, um, we'll take a glimpse at um, sort of what will be um, when we know Jesus fully. So it's going to be a taster of what the kingdom, what his kingdom really looks like when he's fully present and completely Lord over all. So it'll be a sort of tantalizing taste of what the kingdom can be like. So I've been given this Sunday, which is a sort of plug the gap Sunday, um, <laughs> but I don't, see, I don't see it like that. I see this Sunday as a prime opportunity for us to prepare the ground for the seeds that are going to be sown this autumn. It's a time for us to prepare our hearts for encountering Jesus in these fresh new ways. It's almost like it's a time to prepare the way for the Lord, to make his path straight or something along those lines. If only there were some sort of precedent in scripture that we could draw on. <laughs> so this is where we'll turn to um, the gospel reading, please. Carol and Tabsy. Do you want a leaning post? Yes. Mm. Hang on, you'll need a thingy. Thank you. So the reading is Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. John the Baptist prepares the way. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet. 
I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt round his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And the second reading is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 to 18. Now the Lord is the... Is, sorry. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with answers all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Awesome. I love the way you did that. Thank you. So in our first, in, in the Gospel reading, the first reading, so this is, um, the Gospel tells us about Jesus coming to earth. John the baptizer, this funny looking fellow, this rather odd looking fellow who looks, who resembles um, Elijah the prophet, is wandering around on the plains of Jordan and in the wilderness, calling people to repentance. Now repentance means turning away from our sort of selfish dark ways of doing things and turning to God and turning to follow God and be more like God. So that's what repentance is. It's a turning. And he's going around calling people to repentance, to prepare. The reason for this repentance is to prepare the way, prepare people's hearts for the one who's coming after John, for Jesus, the more powerful one, John calls him. Now, we're familiar, probably, with this setup. And the curious thing is that John was not calling the Gentiles. He was calling his, the people of God, God's children, the Jews, who already knew God. And by virtue of being descendants of Abraham, they were already chosen and part of God's family. They were already saved, as it were. And we're told that People from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him, confessing their sins. They were responding. All the people of Jerusalem were responding. How curious. Usually, it was only the defiled and the Gentiles who needed to be baptized. But here we have an indiscriminate response. Everybody was responding to this call to repentance. They were, of course, living under occupation again, by courtesy of the Romans who had invaded their country. And And they hadn't had any prophets speaking to them for hundreds of years. And so this Elijah figure turning up and proclaiming these crazy things in the wilderness would have stirred some interest at least. 
That may account for the significance placed on it. But the Spirit of God was clearly going ahead of Jesus and stirring people out of their complacency. It's an extraordinary response. The Jordan is, of course, a place of new beginnings for God's people, the place where God's people have reclaimed territory. It's a crossing over place. It's a place that is biblically associated with victory, freedom, and fruitfulness. It's a very fertile land. And that has great symbolic significance for what John is doing in this place. The baptism that John offered in the Jordan was for repentance, the forgiveness of sins. It was a preparatory baptism, a sort of get-yourself-ready gig for the more powerful one who is to come. He, that is Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, not just with water. First, there is a call to respond to God to turn away from what is dark and turn towards God. And later, when Jesus comes, there is a baptism of encounter. The areas that have been surrendered to God, so whether it's your whole life and then the little bits of it that we hold back and have to keep handing over, everything that we surrender to God in repentance are blessed and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. John is just a lowly servant who proclaims God's will. The more powerful one is the beloved son who serves and executes God's will. He puts it into practice. This call to repentance, to make way in your life, your heart, for the coming Lord, was key to the effectiveness of Jesus' ministry. He needed people to be repentant, to turn to God, for him to be able to minister to them in the, in the power of the Spirit. Just think about that. How key repentance is to encountering Jesus. And this scenario had been prophesied by Isaiah the prophet hundreds of years before, word for word, God planned to call his people to repentance, to prepare the way for his son to be encountered personally. This was key then, and repentance is key today. A couple of weeks ago, some of you were here, and you may have heard Sarah's testimony. And she spoke of how God is restoring her health from chronic fatigue, and how she is learning to walk out her freedom she made an insightful comment that was, has been playing on my mind ever since. Sarah noted the value of repentance in finding greater levels of freedom in her health and greater levels of glory in her walk with Jesus. She pointed out that in some church services, repentance is a regular part of the worship pattern, such as in St. Thomas's this morning. It was just part of our rhythm of worship. But we can easily get out of the habit of repenting when it's not part of our tradition. So maybe it's because we have a wrong idea about it. So let's dispel some of those myths. Repentance is not a dowdy, condemning, old-fashioned kind of prayer. 
Repentance is key in spiritual warfare. Repentance turns us more fully towards God and more fully into Christ's likeness. That is, we take the parts of us that had not been submitted, that have been submitted to darkness through sin, and we turn so that they can be filled with light. It's a beautiful exchange. Repentance is deeply meaningful, life-transforming expression of worship. Repentance is a deeply meaningful, life-transforming expression of worship. When I picture John the baptizer in all his weird kit calling out in the wilderness, I don't think of a shouty hellfire and damnation preacher who is just wanting to bash people over their head with a ruddy girt stick. I don't picture him like that. I hear a voice of love, maybe with a sense of urgency in the love, but he's offering an invitation to freedom, to light, to something more glorious. The call to repentance is a loving invitation. It is God yearning for greater intimacy with us. It is God wanting to restore us to our original design before we got weighed down and shackled by all the sin, all the trouble that sin brings. If when you hear repentance, you hear this accusatory, um, aggressive, shouty voice, that's not God. Andrew picked up on this in prayer earlier. When you hear that voice of accusation, that is not God's voice telling you what you've done wrong and aren't you horrid lurching. That's not God. That's the enemy, the accuser. Don't listen to his voice. He's a liar. Just don't listen. God's call to repentance is always a loving invitation. It's always from this place of, but my child, you could be more glorious. I can see you transformed. I can see you restored to how you were meant to be. It's a loving invitation to draw closer to a holy intimacy with God. Listen to that voice. Respond to that voice. So if it's so beautiful and so transforming, what stops us from worshipping God through repentance? Usually shame or pride. Pride says... You can overlook that. You're good enough. You do a great job. You're a good person. And besides, God loves you. So there's no need. Your sin isn't that serious. Shame puts a lid over your slip-ups. Shame conceals and keeps it hidden in the dark. Shame is not a work or a gift from God. It is usually our own fear or self-hatred. People can't know me for real. They wouldn't like me if they knew that I slip up like this. And it says that this thing or this part of you must be kept hidden or otherwise you can fill in the blank. 
I think back to all of Jerusalem, all of Jerusalem, traipsing out to see John, to confess their sins and be baptised. That's no small matter. Jerusalem is on a hill, a sort of a mountain, surrounded by a ring of mountains. So it's well fortified, naturally. And they would have had to have walked. Some of them may have ridden, but most of them will have walked down one hill, up the mountains, down the other side to the plains of the Jordan. It's about, I think, 20 miles, which is a full day's walk, particularly if you're not all that used to walking. And it's dangerous. To leave their homes, their well-protected city, to embark on this journey would have required them to be vulnerable. To descend from the mountaintops down to the plains, I think, is at the very least a symbolic of humility. They demonstrate vulnerability and humility. It takes vulnerability and humility to overcome pride and shame. Vulnerability and humility open the door to restoration, to healing, to freedom, to being transformed from glory into glory because true repentance is only possible when we humble ourselves and allow ourselves to be vulnerable. It's uncomfortable, but it's so worth it. We can, of course, only choose to be vulnerable when we feel safe and loved, when we know that the one we approach with our confession looks into our hearts with deep love, the one who is faithful and powerful to change things. The one who is longing to exchange our sin and our shame for love. I was reminded recently that I often say to God when I'm despairing at myself, um, (laughs) nothing is impossible for you, God, not even me. He is not flummoxed by my sins, my struggles and my shame that I carry. He's certainly not flummoxed by yours. We are safe to approach Jesus. We will be received with love and not with condemnation. But it takes humility to acknowledge our need to do this and our vulnerability to respond. It's a challenge. I have personally found that repentance has been key for me in aligning myself with Jesus. But it's also, been, um, it's also been used in restoring me from all sorts of conditions that have in some way shackled or inhibited my life. I'll happily testify till the cows come home. Not that sin is the only cause of some of my troubles, but it does allow darkness in and it can have a significant impact on my relationship with Jesus and the outworking of my identity. I was trying to think of a really sort of safe example that I could give you. Um, And I think one was um, I found a pattern of of independence where I was doing things out of my own strength. So I was sinning in this repeated pattern of being independent, which 
in the world might seem virtuous. You know, strong women, independent, doesn't need anyone. But it's not how God designed us to be, and it's not a healthy way of living. It was causing all sorts of troubles with my health. And so by recognizing this, God's showing me that actually he calls me to repent from being independent. And it doesn't mean to be a pathetic wet blanket, but it does mean that I'm to be interdependent with other people and dependent on God, not on myself. And so in turning, in repenting from that sin, my relationship with God became more intimate. And my identity is transformed to be more the person that God designed me to be. Do you see? It's just a simple, safe analogy, example. In our second reading, in 2 Corinthians, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the, now the Lord is the Spirit, And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. By repenting from where we have kept the Lord away, and where we have turned to ungodly choices, and by turning back to God to invite his Holy Spirit into those places, that is where we find a level of freedom that we didn't have before. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Invite him in to those darker places. And in doing so, in yielding more and more again and again to the Lord and less and less to the powers of darkness, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. It's a sort of now and not yet. You have been transformed, those who have given their lives to Jesus. You have been transformed into glory by being born again into God's family. You are a glorious child of God. I can see that so clearly. (laughs) But you are also being transformed from glory into glory. We have been saved, and yet we are also on a journey of working out our salvation. We have been set free in order that we live in freedom. Repentance is a deeply meaningful, life-transforming expression of worship. So in a moment, I'm going to lead us through a time where we can um, take some time to repent. And this is all because... I'd love us to prepare our hearts, to get ready, to, that we might then encounter Jesus in new and deeper and fresh ways this autumn term. So it's a, it's a process, it's a preparing and making way for what is to come tonight and through this autumn. Um, we'll have... Um, Just a moment of silence. I think we just listen to what the Lord wants to say to you individually. And when he speaks, remember, if it's an accusation or if it's condemning, just stamp on it. You don't need to listen to that. But if it's God saying, my child, I'm putting my finger on this, and it may be uncomfortable, it often is, but you just sense him saying, I want to invite that bit of you deeper into love, into that darkness. I want to invite my light into that area of darkness. 
to transform you into greater glory and freedom. So we'll just um, listen for a moment to the Holy Spirit. Stamp on any words of accusation and listen to the words of love. So come, Holy Spirit. You know our hearts intimately. And we're not impossible for you. Nothing is. So would you show us the part that you want us to surrender, to repent of, that we may walk more fully in your light. So come, Holy Spirit.